Okay, so uh, we're up to the 16th letter, and like we mentioned last week, the Sefer is really kind of done, right? Hirsch presented his philosophy, presented his overview, his understanding of Yiddishkeit, um, and he answered all the challenges from the second letter. We discussed last week maybe uh, how to make it a little bit relevant to us today, what we can get from it. The next three letters, so the last letter is kind of just like an epilogue, but the next three letters are, uh, are, are more focused on the events of his own day, on history, on uh, the politics of the day, addressing the key issues that they were dealing with. They're very interesting letters, they're interesting to hear of Hirsch's view. And, uh, and just as a general rule, we have to always just be very careful when we read these. You know, Hirsch himself, he wrote, uh, he wrote hundreds of tshuvas, if not more, right? He was the chief rabbi of the region of Moravia for many years, and uh, he was the central location where all the tshuvas went through. And if, according to the math that the Hechejman, he wrote hundreds and hundreds of tshuvas. Uh, we don't have them, right? The only sefer of tshuvas we have is, is a sefer Shemesh uh, Marpe that the uh, Rebbe Yomir Klugman put out from Art Scroll. They collected a couple of tshuvas that survived. It's primarily the ones that were more, you know, about reform and stuff like that. You know, things that he sent to people that were saved, they put together. What happened to his tshuvas? So his daughter took all of his tshuvas and destroyed them. And the reason was is because Hirsch himself writes in some places about, you know, taking things that people wrote and applying them in different generations, right? Everyone has to... Right? When, when something is written, it applies to this time and this generation. You can't, in this place, right? it's very, you can't take someone's ashkafa and someone's things and apply it. And this daughter took it to mean that, okay, that we have to destroy the chuvas. But really, the truth is that chuvas are uh, very important, right? You have chuvas of the Rishayinah, these are the most fundamental chuvas. Even though, yes, you have to be careful about applying it because you have to know what the circumstances are. Right, so yeah, it's always limited. But the mice is tremendous information. Then, okay, his daughter burned them. But certainly with Ashkafa, right? When you're dealing with kinds of things like political events, like Zionism, like we'll see, and emancipation, it's you have to be very careful. You know, like uh, Adayim was still talking about. I was yesterday I had a conversation with someone who was talking about the, you know, the settlements in the West Bank. What topic came up? You know, about the Netanyahu and this and that. And he said, oh, the Maral Diskin said that. Uh, I said, Diskin. I mean, this kid was, uh, you know, what I mean, he's not been around for, for quite a while. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, even though the Miller set to vote for him, you know what I mean? This is uh, we have to always the yiftach b'deirei, and uh, things change, circumstances change. So it's important to understand the, you know, the, the historical context that these things are set. We're not talking about halacha. The halacha never changes. Torah never changes. But the circumstances around it do. And so, again, this is a very good geshmak. There's a lot of entertainment here. It's exciting. But recognize that you know, it's we just have to look at it in, you know, in the context. So we ask about my, you ask my opinion about emancipation. The problem which at present so greatly agitates many minds. So what's emancipation? Emancipation is, we're talking about it's almost impossible for us to even understand what, 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 what was going on, but pretty much for, for most of the last uh, 1,800 years at this point, 2,000 years, right, since the Beis HaMikdash, was, whatever it was, is uh, almost 2,000 years, um, the, uh, the Jews were second-class citizens. The Jews didn't have rights of citizenship. Even in the countries, the golden era of Spanish Jewry, right? The Jews were second-class citizens. They were always, and that meant different things at different times. It meant, obviously, that you can get thrown out at will, right? There's almost not a country in Europe that didn't throw the Jews out for a kufa. You know what I mean? In England, there were the Jews in England for 400 years, from 1200s to the, to the 1600s. France, Germany, every country's been throwing Jews out at some point, second-class citizens in terms of taxation, in terms of their rights, you know, in the courts, in terms of, you know, how many, where they can live, the ghetto and all that kind of stuff. Like, the Jews were second-class citizens. And Muslims, it was the same way. Muslims generally were more tolerant, although you had the, you know, you had the eras of things that got flared up, right? The Jews lived in Spain for no problem until the Christians took over. That's when they got expelled. But it was always second-class citizens. 
right? What happens during Rav Hirsch's era, so this begins with the French Revolution, right, Napoleon, and, uh, and you know, this was, uh, this was when, you know, the world is now getting uh, much, more, uh, much more liberal, they're becoming much more moral, and they start realizing the concept of rights, of human rights, the Renaissance, you know, all these kinds of things led, Thomas Paine, all these events led to everyone beginning to re-examine the rights of all their second-class citizens, and of course, of course the Jews, right? Napoleon, of course, convenes us on Hedrin, you know, it was a you know, famous story. Um, so the question is, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What should Jews be doing, right? I mean, we have questions today, right? Uh, you know, do we, uh, do, we, do we sue the town of Jackson? Do we not? Right? Do we lobby for our rights? You know, if, uh, if, uh, you know do we fight against the government? Are we a Yidin Golos? Right? These, are, these are questions which continue to challenge us. But back then, it was much more fundamental. Right? Should we be, you know, lobbying governments? <laughs> Should we be petitioning? Should we be focusing on trying to get equal rights? Right? The non-Jews, they were, you know, offering it. But again, every city was different. And everything was, uh, every country, every municipality, every kingdom was different. But what's the general view on emancipation? Right? That was the question. So he says like this, you asked me whether in the spirit of Judaism I consider emancipation possible and desirable, and whether I think that we ought to strive for it. Right? So what's the view on emancipation? Again, just to point that again, you know, to take something that he says here and apply it to our days, right? You know, we're talking about two different worlds, right? We're talking about not having rights, we're talking about wearing yellow stars, you know, uh, right? And again, even before the Nazis, the Jews were different, right? They had to, and to today, when we're Baruch Hashem, we're, we're equal citizens, but the question of, you know, a matter of this policy or not. But again, what's the general view? As for yourself, dear Binyamin, you write that according to your newly won conception of Judaism, you don't know what to make of it. Not, right, so he says, look, based on what he said, first, based on what you just wrote, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. You now doubt whether striving for emancipation is in keeping with the spirit of Judaism. Because it means our, our joining something alien and breaking away from Israel's destiny, right? Because now we're becoming part of the world, becoming citizens of Germany as opposed to the Torah. And our job as Yidin is to do the Torah, to be the Klai Yisrael, the Am Yisrael, who's, you know, it's independent nation, who shows the world the way, who teaches the world how to serve Hashem and what it means to be loyal servant to Hashem, no matter what. That's our role. Our role isn't to build a country in a conventional sense, wealth, wealth, wealth um, and, and power. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe it's okay. Maybe we should be second-class citizens. Maybe uh, we should be, you know, why should we try to be Germans? Why should we try to get rights as Germans, as Frenchmen, as Americans, right? No, we're, we're different, and that's fine, right? The goal of a Yid is not to be wealthy and to have power. The goal is to do the rest of Hashem no matter the circumstance. So maybe it's better for us to be second-class citizens, right? And the reality is, by the way, that it serves us very well, right? As much as, as terrible as things were, but the fact that we were, you know, separate, that means that we weren't drafted into their armies, right? We didn't have to fight in their ridiculous wars because the Jews, we don't want Jews in our army, right? right? It served us well that we were different. It kept us separate. That was a very valuable thing, right? So you doubt whether it's a desirable for Israel's uniqueness could be easily obliterated by too much closeness to the non-Jewish world. Right, we're going to be too close to them, and, and look what happens, right? Germany, they get, they get, they get freedom to an extent, and uh, everyone uh, they, 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 they fell apart. So he says, I respect your scruples and will tell you my view. Right? Is emancipation in harmony with the spirit of Judaism? So first of all, is it in, in harmony with the spirit of Judaism? Whether we should, right? What's the, what's the story? So he says like this. When Yisrael began its great pilgrimage through the ages and nations, Yeshayel proclaimed its duty to the following. I just, I, I just took a picture of the Pesukim in Hebrew, so I can just read it in the, in the Hebrew. He quotes here from Yeshayel, and the Pesach says like this. Right? We're going into Galus. He tells the Gaila, Benu Vatim, build houses. Vishavu and live in them. Nitu Ganais plant gardens, Vichlas Prim, and eat the fruits. In other words, partake in the local economy of, of Bavel, right? Have children. Get your children married, 
right? Increase, don't think, oh, we're in Gullus, things are so terrible, we don't want to, you know, you know this, this is not our place over here, why are, we, why are we having big families, why are we growing, why are we participating, why are we, right? No. Seek out the peace of the city that I sent you into Gullus, and daven for them. Because when they have Shalom, you'll have Shalom. And this is a very, very important puzzle. This was very, obviously very important for the Germans, as we'll see the Yekis. This is a puzzle which comes up time and time again. Um, but this is the this is Rav Hirsch's understanding this puzzle to mean that wherever you are in Golos, you should seek to sh- the peace of the city. You should seek to be part of it. Seek to participate. Don't don't be cut off from it. Right? If you leave the company, if the country will thrive, you'll thrive. And therefore, it's not a steerer. I heard um, uh, from David Feinstein. I used to go to give a shir. Um, I used to go Fridays, but I also I would even when I stopped going Fridays, I would go try to go before Purim and Pesach. He gave like a big shir on the, on, the, on the Megillah and the Haggadah. So he said over once. He said, uh, I think it was on the Haggadah shir. Maybe it was on the Hashem Shemais. I don't remember. Right? He says that Pari says uh, right. Next week Pari. We have to wise up against the Jews because what's going to happen? There's going to be a war. They're going, to, they're going to join our enemies, Allah min ha'aretz. And they're going to, Allah means they're going to come up from the land. Right? So what does this mean? I mean, if they don't like the Jews, let the Jews leave. Right? Let them go up from the land. What's the problem? Right? So Rashi says that it's, it really means ve'ali nu. It means that they're, they're going to kick us out. That's what it means. Right? Okay, fine. Rav David says, maybe kolonel kapshutai. Allah min means that the Empire didn't want the Jews to leave. He wanted the Jews to stay. Why? Because he knows that the Yidin are hispalabada, that Yidin daven for the host country that they find themselves in. And they participate and they make the country better. Right? And so Abdullah finds that as an amazing thing. It comes out. He says, he says that Pari said, what are we going to do to keep them here? We're going to make them slaves. So we're making them slaves, but they're still, they're going to be hispalabad shleim here. He says that was his solution to get the Jews to stay because he wants to, it's an amazing, amazing Kiddush. Right? I mean, we find, right? we find that the Raman says, right, that that's why we couldn't fight against Mitzrayim. They were an Achsania, we were a host, but we have to have a certain appreciation that we live in that country for, for, for you know. Okay. So, uh, right, it's like imagine like having a curse of type to like Germany, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we lived in Germany for a thousand years, let's have a curse of type. It's hard to imagine. Okay. So, uh, it follows that rejection and confinement to a narrow way of life are not essential conditions of the Gullus. This is not, we don't ha- it doesn't have to be this way. Yes, Gullus for, for hundreds of years was that we were separate and confined and in the ghetto. But that's not what Gullus is about. That doesn't mean that that's what Gullus is. We think, oh, this is Hashem's Rasin that in Gullus we should be living in poverty and, and with anti-Semitism. No, that's not what Gullus has to be. Rather, it's our duty to ally ourselves as closely as possible with the state that has accepted us, to further its aims, and not to think of our own welfare as being independent from that of the state. Right? Because it's not different. Right? It's not, we don't have to be, you know, we don't have to be different. Right? It's, it's interesting. It says that, uh, um, it says, that, it says in, in the Haggadah, that there's this Haggadah from Moshe Lehman, Marcus Lehman, right? So the famous, he was a famous author, but he was a rabbi in Germany. He has a Haggadah, a beautiful Haggadah. And he asked here, he says that we say, um, it says um, that we came down to Mitzrayim by Yagarsham, right? We didn't go down to, to live there permanently, just Lagorsham. But it says, but what does the Pasuk say? That they lived there. So were they, were they there to live permanently or temporarily? That says they were there temporarily, but when they were living there, they embraced the country and they were completely loyal, right? Again, this was an accusation against Jews always that uh, they're dual citizenship, right? And the answer is, we're not dual citizenship. We have one citizenship to the Rabbi Shalom. That's, that's what we are. But in terms of our ability to, yes, we embrace the country that we live in. 
and you know, I mean, Jews fighting in the German army. That was like, you know, we considered they were proud Germans. Right? Maybe they took it too far eventually, I don't know. Right? But that, that, that you, that you, you know, the idea that you should be a proud American and a loyal American is, uh, is you know, whether Dino the Malchusadina and all the terror, he's saying no, that is, that is a value. And the point is that Gullus doesn't demand that you be, a, a, you know, a second class citizen. It is certainly possible for us to attach ourselves to the state, wherever we may find ourselves, without harm to the spirit of Yiddishkeit. We could be first-class citizens in a country and still be good Yiddin. After all, our former independent statehood did not represent the essence or the purpose of Yisrael's national existence, or really a means to the fulfillment of a spiritual task. In other words, what made us Yiddin? The fact that we had a country, and that we were ourselves, we had our own country, and we were separate? No, that's not what made us Yiddin. What made us Yiddin is, the bond of Yisrael's unity was at no time land and soil. That's how Amenaz Yiddin. We became a nation in Mitzrayim. Right? We became a nation in, our, in Mitzrayim. We got the Torah in the Midbar. Having a country and being this kind of unique entity is not what makes us, uh, right? We became Yiddin in Mitzrayim. Right? Only the common task of keeping the Torah. That is what makes us a nation. Keeping the Torah. What is the nation of Klai Not a nation who's separate. Not a nation who's different. A nation who keeps loyal to the Torah. In consequence, Yisrael still today constitutes one entity, even though it's far from its land and in exile is joined to other nations. So we could be first-class Americans, first-class Europeans, first-class this, and yet we're 100% Yidin. And we are united in that we are Yidin. And that is what makes us a nation. That is what unites us together. Right? Hirsch says like an Am, the idea of an Am is, is that you're, you're bound by something you know, internal. You're bound by a Torah that makes you, right? that's the Chiddush of Klai Yisrael, is that we are a nation without a land. The idea of being a nation without a land is, is what well, does that make sense? What, what, makes you, what makes you a yid? Right? Like, why are you a yid? The Torah says you're bound by the Torah. That's what, that's what holds us together. So we could be on four corners of the earth, which we literally are, and yet we are all united. A yid's a yid. One day, Hashem will again reunite the Jews outwardly too. Eventually, we'll come back to Yisrael, and we'll all be you know, one country, one nation. As the people gathered on its soil, and the Torah will again form the constitution of a state, serving as a model and a manifestation of Hashem and the and human mission. Yes, eventually, that's really what we want. We want to stand out, we want to be separate, and that's the ideal, we'll come back to Yisrael. This is the future which we have been promised, and which forms the goals of the Golas. Right? That is the, that's the future, Right? But then he adds in a line, which we'll get back to, we should long for it, but we must not actively work to bring it about. We'll get to that in a second. We are still being educated for this future so that we will then exemplify Yisrael in prosperity more surely than we did in the past. This future will go hand in hand with the elevation of all humanity to universal brotherhood on the God. Fine, right? There will be something called the Yid. They will be very separate. We'll have our own country, our own things. But until then, the fact that we are first-class Americans, the fact that we are first-class, you know, uh, right, doesn't mean that we're any less Yidden. Right? That's not what Yiddishkeit Yiddishkeit is not defined by, your, by whether you're a citizen of another country. You're not defined by any country, even our own country. That never defined us. Being a Yid in Eretz Yisrael never defined what a Yid is. Right? A Yid always was loyalty to the Torah. But the Yid is a country, a nation that is united by being loyal to the Rabbanish and being loyal to the Torah. Right? And again, we spoke again, we spoke in the previous letters. The purpose of the Lamaisa, the ideal way of, of fulfilling our mission as a Yid, is with our own country, is with our own king, is being successful in a powerful nation, and yet still serving the Rebbe We could show the world, wow, look at that country. This is a country who's rich, and yet they're not busy, you know, uh, with transgender bathrooms. You know what I mean? This is a country who's powerful and wealthy, and yet they're honest, and they're not abusing, and they're this, right? And they have rights. This is the, the, what, what an amazing, uh, you know, uh, lesson that would have been for the world. 
Okay, we're not there, the Met Hashem will get there. But, but being an independent and unique people is not a criteria. Loyalty to the Torah And if you can be loyal to the Torah while being a first-class American, then 100%, and there's nothing wrong. And the, so there's not, it's not a stira. Right? Now, whether it's ideal, we'll talk about it in a second. But it's not a stira. Now, he adds in a very important point here, and it's not, we're not going to talk about it too much, but he talks about that the future is going to be, you know, going to Israel. He said, we should long for it, but we must not actively work to bring it about. Right? And this is already the beginnings of the discussion of Zionism. A person is writing this in the 1820s, 1830s, when Zionism is really and is just starting, and people are moving back to Eretz Yisrael. And the issue of Zionism and of Hirsch and Zionism has been discussed a lot. Again, we can't, we can't draw from a Hirsch about whether you should vote, who you should vote for, right? and whether you should vote or not, but uh, the idea of Hirsch was, was, was staunchly anti-Zionist. And that's very clear consistently throughout his life, even towards the end of his life. He wasn't anti-moving back to Eretz Yisrael. He supported the Yishev in Eretz Yisrael. He uh, fundraised for them extensively. He wasn't like against even going back. He didn't hold that it was us to go back. But the idea of Zionism, the idea that there should be a movement of Yiddishkeit, which is not based on the Torah, right? Even going back, even the from the original Chayvav Eitzian were very from, right? It's Fiers Kalisher, Ein Yisrael Negolim Ela B'Tshuva. What did he say that means? It means Tshuva returned to Eretz Yisrael, literally. They believe that that was the Geula, the Eschad of the Geula. The first is like, the Torah, Yiddishkeit is based on keeping the Torah, not going back to Eretz Yisrael, no matter how great your motivations are. What makes us Yiddin, what our goal and role in this world is, keeping the Torah. That is what we have to do, right? Not going to Eretz Yisrael. Again, go to Eretz Yisrael, want to live in Eretz Yisrael, it works, doesn't hate. But that, that's what, that, that should be a movement of Yiddishkeit. That he said, he, he, he writes it very famous, uh, very sharply. The Tzviyash Kalash kept on you know, telling him, he, he says, you're stopping the Geula, he, he, he quotes it here. He says, you know, you're causing the Mashiach not to come. He says, he said, uh, he writes, he said, I requested that he leave me alone on this matter, for what they consider to be a big mitzvah is in my eyes no small Avera. Right? Very famous, very sharp words from Hirsch. This got him some credibility by like, you know, the, the Polish Yidin, the, the Hungarian Yidin, you know, this is like, Right? So again, the idea, the idea that a movement of, of Yidin is a movement, has to be a movement of one thing, of loyalty to the Torah and how to be loyal to the Torah. Right? And that's it. So again, he was very, he first said that, he says, after Churban Beitar, he writes this in a few places, that's where the Chazal realized, right? Because what happened with Beitar, right? So the Besamilish, second Besamilish is destroyed. Then like a couple of years, every few years they're doing like another revolt against the Romans until finally the Barkeichma revolt in year, I was like 120, 130. The Barakhma revolt is squashed, millions of Yidin are killed, they're Khurban Beitar, on Tishabov. And that's he says when the when the Khazal realized that Mashiach is not going to come through our uprisings, through our movement, it's going to come from the Rabban Shalom. It's going to come Ayde Tshuva, we have a Messiah that the Basimilish will come down in fire. That the Chazal realized at that point we no longer focus actively on bringing about the Geula. We focus on building ourselves up spiritually, and then the political Geula will happen somehow by the Rabban that's, that's He says it happened then, that's what the Brach of Ataiva Ametiv was in the Sakin for. And that's sort of Hirsch. Again, the Sugya of, of Shalishvois and all that, you know, that's uh, again how it, is, how it applies nowadays and whether you should vote in an election. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not the point. Again, the Hirsch is very consistent. What matters is, right, and I, and I you know, we always talk about, you know, uh, uh, you know, How's history going to judge us? Everyone wants to be on the right side of history, right? And we try to think, look ahead, and, and try to be like, you know, like the people that kept Shabbos and how they're still from. You try to always try to think, what's the next big thing? That, you know, if you're anti Pshidesh Mikra or 24 6 app, you know, is that like the thing that like, they're going to look back and say, this is the thing, right? 
the one thing that's like just been very consistent with this is loyalty to the Torah. Like that's that's ultimately what matters, right? There should be nothing. Your agenda needs to be movements whose agenda was anything other than loyalty to the Torah. Even something part of Yiddishkeit, like Mashiach. Right? Mashiach's wonderful, but if your your, your thing was Mashiach. Then, then, then you, eventually, it's just like loyalty to the Torah is what matters, and it could manifest itself many ways, right? But uh, what, right, and that's you know that's ultimately what uh, you know what, what everyone realized about Hasidus is that uh, they were ultimately loyal to the Torah. Everyone was afraid that it would become unloyal to the Torah, and they were different and separate. But loyalty to the Torah is what matters, and if you're loyal to the Torah, you'll be part of Klai Yisrael. You stick around. Any other movement will ultimately fail about. So feminism and all that stuff. Yes, you could have from Yidden that are busy with women's and all that stuff. That's not the point. What is, what is your objective? Is your objective feminism? Is your objective loyalty to the Torah? Right? What is, what, 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 what is, what is your motivation? And that's what's going to make all the difference uh, looking back in the future. So nothing, nothing else matters. Nothing, no other shita, no one aspect of Yiddishkeit is what matters. What matters is whether or not you're loyal to the Torah and nothing else is important. And he says, uh, it's precisely the purely spiritual nature of Yisrael's nationhood that makes it possible for Jews everywhere to tie, nation, to, to, to tie themselves fully to the various states in which they live. Right? They can, no matter what, they can be good Americans because, again, what their real loyalty is, is to the Torah, not to America, not to anything. It's never anything other than the Torah. With the distinction, perhaps, that while others may consider the material benefits provided by the state, Possessions and enjoyment to be the ultimate good, right? So if you're an American, well, you want American to be militarily successful. You care that America should be financially. You should want it to be the richest, powerful superpower. Yisrael always can regard these only as means to fulfillment of the human mission. Right? That's what, to us, whether America is the greatest, greatest economy is not important. What matters is loyalty to the Torah. What matters is whether we can fulfill our mission properly, right? So whether or not, you know, to get personally, right, even like, you know, to feel personal about politics. Right? A lot of people get a little bit nervous. Everyone pro-Trump, anti-Trump. They won the election, lost the election. You can't take it personal. Your job in this country, and even as a citizen, is to realize that, you're, that this country is a means to an end. Right? That you can be loyal and support it, and you vote, and you have the American flag, but recognizing that what is the ultimate goal. Right? The success of America is not the goal. It's the means to the ends of your goal. Right? And again, it doesn't mean to, in a cynical way, oh, let's just take advantage, just get money because it's all trafe. But it's, 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 you know, what is your pride in the country? What is your purpose for the country? And he says a beautiful thing, which is, it's very, very, it's, it's heartbreaking, right? Just visualize the sons of Yisrael dwelling in freedom amid other nations, striving to attain their ideals. And imagine you're living in America and Yidin are being good Yidin. Picture every son of Yisrael, a respected, influential model of righteousness and love. Right? Imagine if Yidin would live up to their ideal. Spreading, not Judaism, that's forbidden, right? we don't proselytize, but pure humanitarianism. We're going to be good citizens, we care for people, we're, 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 right? we're good, right? What a mighty impetus to the education of mankind. What a source of light and strength this could have been in the benighted period of the Middle Ages. And imagine in a world full where the, where the Goyim were just a bunch of murdering crazy people, and the Yidin would stand out as a model. Wow, look at the Jews, no matter what, they're honest. And no matter what they do, they're, 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 they, they treat people with respect, right? right? If this kind of gullus had not been precluded by Yisrael's sinfulness and the nation's insane fanaticism, right? Again, for 2,000 years we're living under the worst conditions. The Gaimar are looking at the Yidin and saying, wow, because they, they don't see us. We're sitting in there in the ghetto. But imagine if we could have, we could have it like, we're, like adults we're having today, like he says, right? Imagine if Yidin, every Yid, you drive through Lakewood and uh, you're a random Gaim, you drive through Lakewood and you're like, wow, the drivers here are really courteous. 
Wow, you're doing business with the lake of business. Wow, they're so honest. They pay on time. What they do is, you know, they say what they mean and, they're, and they're, right, they treat people with respect, right? What, 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 an amazing, what an amazing impact that makes on the world. How impressive it would have been in the midst of human race pursuing and indeed often maniacally worshipping violence, wealth, and gratification of the senses. Right? So you're living in a country which is you know, running after pleasure, running after taiva. Right? If there had quietly lived an open view Men who regarded possessions and enjoyment only as the means to practice justice and love to all, towards all. Men whose minds embedded, imbued with the truth of, and wisdom of the Torah maintained only sensible, truly human views. Right? No matter what the world was doing, no matter what they were running after, the Yidden, we were different. Right? And who perpetrated these for themselves and others by expressing them in living symbolic actions. Right? If everything they did, and the mitzvahs that they did, and the way they behaved, they would have been model citizens. Right? What an amazing, amazing, uh, right? what an amazing thing that would have been. It would appear, however, that a harsh and oppressive Galatz had to come first. And so it didn't start like that, right? First it was Chorban, we were taken captives, in order to train Yisrael to live under milder Galatz, right? By first trained by living in terrible conditions, we realized how, how, how the non-Jews have nothing and violence is terrible and money is not. Look, look at us, we're sitting there weak and we're still surviving. Only after Galatz is understood and accepted as it should be, when even in a time of suffering, right? Hashem and the Torah are seen as a sole task in life. So not only as a means, and when God has served them in misery, right? So we went through hundreds of years of pretty bad situations. Only then is Israel perhaps ready for the even greater test of a life of ease and good fortune whilst dispersed in Gullus, right? So in other words, in other words, we went through a terrible tkuf of Gullus. Gullus, why? We had to realize that, uh, that, you know, that, uh, that, that power and wealth means nothing. We had to go through an experience of living in poverty, living under oppression, and being loyal to the Torah, and realizing what ultimately will make us survive. We can, right? The fact that Yidin are around is the greatest testament to, 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 to the Rabbi Nishalelem. But then, Rav Hirsch says, an opportunity opens up. Hashem says, okay, hopefully you learned the lesson of the Yid, of the terrible Gullus. Now I want you to learn the lesson. I want to see if you can now take it right, to the next level. Right, Rav Hirsch talks about the Brisi Avram, the Brisi Yitzchak, and Brisi Yaakov. Right? He says, the Bris, not of Avram, the Bris is Avram. In other words, Klai Yisrael has a circumstance of Yaakov. Right? Living under terrible conditions, living under Lavan. Right? That's one way. Then there's the Bris of Yitzchak. Yitzchak was a wealthy person, but he was very jealous. Right? The Pelishtim were jealous of him. Separate but equal. Right? And they have the Bris of Avram, where right? right? and, the, and, 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 and there are stages. You know, again, the Holocaust threw a little bit of a wrench, right? Because we were really, you know, and maybe it's because we failed in, in, uh, in this test of the, of the better Gullus. So here then, and with one more paragraph, is the answer to your question. Just as we are duty-bound to acquire the practical resources that provide the basic conditions for our existence, so too it is purely everyone's duty to make use of any lawful opportunity to alleviate his lot and to increase his resources. The more means one commands, the greater the possibility of fulfilling his mission to a larger extent. In other words, look, to lobby governments to get rights Right? This is good, right? What are you doing now? You're getting more rights and giving yourself, because again, you're giving yourself more opportunity to be free and more opportunity to, to fulfill your mission as a yid. We don't look at being free as a bad thing, right? Because the only thing that matters is loyalty to the Torah. So, and things are bad, loyal to the Torah. If you can make things good and be loyal to the Torah under, under that new way, then right? it's even greater. By the same token, it is certainly the duty of the community as a whole to seize any opportunity provided by the law to obtain the civil rights needed to improve its conditions and existence. Right? Yes, be askanim. Don't say, oh, we're a yin and gullus, and if the government wants to, wants to come out against us and harass us, we should just accept it. No, right? Because why? Because again, what is this all about? It's not, right? It's not neither, not being de- de- despised and persecuted and not being wealthy and free and independent is what a yid's all about. Neither of them is important. What's important is, 
in those circumstances, what are you going to do? And being able to serve the Rebbe and be a loyal Yid, when things are going well, is, well, that's, a much more, uh, that's a much more important and powerful, uh, right? That a Yid could... Uh, Ramat Asiyo, I think, once said that he it was a katana, that like, more of like, fright people didn't become Bali Tshuva but being in proximity to Lakewood. That even Geirim, I think he once said, right? That, that, that you, we should look at, like, a, at a town of Yidin and see, uh, you know, again, this tremendous uh, Baruch Hashem, right? You know, the fact that uh, you know, we're living in, 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 in every Western country besides for Israel, right? And yeah. almost every demographic, right? The richer you are, the fewer kids you have, right? America is, 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 uh, is, is almost, right? They're, they're not replacing themselves, right? I mean, people are having less than two kids, and that means that uh, eventually you're going to run out of people, right? Uh, Israel is the only Western country, interestingly, even among the Freya, that they still have larger families, right? But Yidin, you're living here in, in, in America in 2023 and having large families, right? It's an incredible thing. The fact that we have such family, we get married young and loyal families, it's a beautiful thing, and that, and that makes a tremendous impact, right? But again, the ability to, 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 be, to, to look outward, right? And to show the, and show the world and, and to be a, a good role model, to be a good boss, Right and to be an honest person, a good driver, a good right. That's something which is a tremendous. It's it's, it's a greater. It's the next level of gullus, and it's one that we shouldn't be afraid of, and what we should we should pursue if we're able to. Okay, we'll continue next week. But that's the uh, yeah. Sorry, I went a little long.